You can be seated. There comes a point in all of our lives when we come to a crossroads. And we're faced with a decision between two roads. One road quickly disappears out of our view. And the portion that we can see, we understand that it's not the most attractive road. That it's not the easiest road. It's this kind of nasty, dirty, rocky, more of a dirt path. And as scary as that road is, somehow it feels like our hearts are drawn to it. Like we belong on that road. And then there's this other road that goes as far as the eye can see. And it's this nice paved highway. All along the way, there are neon lights and cool-looking attractions that capture our attention. And as we look at that road, we say, that's a lot easier. And if not easier, it'd be at least a heck of a lot more fun. If we're standing there at the crossroads and we have a choice between these two roads, it seems like a no-brainer. But if that's true, then why is it that so many people are so unhappy traveling down the easy road? And then again, why would we ever choose to go down the dirt path? Life's hard enough without making it any more difficult isn't it? Robert Frost put it like this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. In the last 15 years of being part of this church, I've learned a thing or two about traveling down the dirt path that leads to Jesus. I've learned that it's not an easy road, but it's very easy to lose our way. I've learned that it's not about if you will get knocked down because you will. It's how you get back up that matters. And I've also learned that life is full of dichotomies. Like the fact that somehow the good times seem so much sweeter after we've walked through the hard times and come out on the other side and our faith still remains. Well, happy birthday, Westridge. Did you think we were uh, going classical for a minute after 15 years now that we're older? Actually, uh, we, uh, we did that song at our first year birthday back in 1998, and everybody thought we were crazy that we, uh, that we did that song. Now look at these guys. The band's like rocking all the time. Michael's doing raps now. It's like crazy. <laughs> Well, um, many of you may not know this, but we uh, actually, and maybe you never even thought about how churches start, but we started this church from scratch. 
And it was just about 10 or 15 of us from around the area. And um, the way that we decided that we were going to start the church was just to send out some postcards inviting people to attend this never-church-as-usual church. And then we just sat back and waited because we had no idea whether or not anybody would actually even show up. But can you believe that on our first Sunday, on September 28th, 1997, in the Elgin Community College Visual and Performing Arts Center, that we had 853 people show up for our first Sunday. Can you believe that? Yeah. The place was absolutely packed. It was, it was absolutely nuts. But right from the first Sunday, we started to lay out the vision systematically for Westridge. And we had already determined that we wanted this church to be unique. We wanted it to be a place that would be authentic. And the dream was to create a church that would be a grace-filled place where people from all backgrounds could walk down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus together. In other words, to create a place to help people to encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God. And so we began to talk about what it meant to be never church as usual. So... On my very first Sunday, in my very first sermon, I just started laying it out, and I looked across this sea of people, and I said this. If you're looking for a place where you can put the pastor up on a pedestal because he is such a great man of God, this ain't the place for you. I said, because I am so not that, And in fact, at that time, I had just come back into my relationship with God after having walked away from him for many, many years. And I said, and besides that, I'm really a pretty messed up guy. I said, so, I may be no Billy Graham. However, I am somebody who will walk with you on your journey to find God. And if that's what you're looking for, this is the place for you because I will commit to spend the rest of my life here walking with all of you and we'll all be on the same level. Well, I have to tell you, I thought I knocked it out of the park that day. I mean, it was incredible. But the very next Sunday, our attendance dropped in half. We went from a church of 800 to 400, just like that. And so the next Sunday, passionate, I got up and I said, and if you're looking for a place that will approach the Bible academically, where the pastor is really more of a professor and wants to approach every text and give you the Greek, Hebrew, and Latin derivatives of every word in every verse, I said, this is not the place for you. Because we really believe that the Bible is provided for us by God, not as a textbook, but as a guide that gives us a roadmap for our lives. And so, if you're looking for a place, however, that will talk plainly about your issues, that will talk honestly about the stuff that we all struggle with, and to look at how the Bible will relate to your everyday life, I said, then this is the place for you. The very next Sunday, we dropped by another hundred. (laughs) 
I was starting to get a complex. (laughs) And so the next week I got up, rather sheepishly, I might add. And I said, if you're looking for the perfect church, this is not the place for you. I said, because this is a place that will be full of imperfect people, a place that will accept messed up people just as they are and not as we think that they should be. I said, no matter who you are or what you've done in your life, no matter what color your skin is, no matter how much money you have or don't have, no matter how bad you think your sins are or aren't, I said, I promise you, you will be accepted in this place and this will be the place for you. We dropped again. (laughs) Every week. The numbers kept getting smaller and smaller. And it was almost like our own little version of Survivor, only everybody was voting themselves off the island. (laughs) And everybody who stuck around, they were all looking around like going, where'd everybody go? Well, the very next Sunday was Time Change Sunday. And it was the one that we like because we get the extra hour of sleep. And back then, we only had one service at 10 a.m. in the auditorium. And so we were all there that morning, and we were doing the rehearsals, and we were working on sound and lights. And so as we were working on the lighting, the auditorium was completely pitch black. And sure enough, 9 a.m. rolls around, and here comes the sweetest little lady you could ever imagine walking through the doors of the auditorium, all flustered because she really believes she's late for church, when in actuality, she is an hour early. And because the auditorium is dark, she really can't see anything, so she hurries up and she takes her seat. Well, it just so happened that at the exact moment that she walks in, the worship band and the vocal team begin to rehearse the worship And so as they start the first song, she stands up and she begins to sing and she's just singing her little heart out as beautiful as it could be. But after a while, she gets a little suspicious. Her eyes begin to adjust to the darkness and as she starts looking around to her horror, she is the only one standing in the auditorium. But the funny thing is she just keeps right on singing. So, of course, the compassionate pastor that I am, I'm standing in the corner laughing my rear off. (laughs) Finally, I walk over to her and I say, Vicki, is everything okay? And she looks at me and she gets this real panicked look on her face and she says, Pastor, am I the only one left? (laughs) (laughs) It didn't quite get that bad. But I will say that we have come a long way since then. And it's been amazing to see how God has taken this place and created this beautiful church from something that was just a dream 15 years ago. And I will tell you that what has made all the difference here at Westridge, making it the church that it has become, it's the people who stuck it out. It's the people who really understood the vision and they took a risk to really walk through the hard times, through the good times, and to stay together and to really hold to this vision of creating a never church as usual church. And I have to tell you, this is the most unique 
church I've ever been a part of in my life. It is just something that you don't find anywhere else. Westridge is not normal. You people are just bizarre. So I have learned a lot over the last 15 years, and I could probably spend weeks telling you my story over the last 15 years, but I'll spare you. But just suffice it to say that over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the lessons that I've learned, and I've learned a lot, and we'll be talking about some of those things. If you're somebody who is sitting out there and you're kind of just checking Westridge out and you're trying to figure out whether this is the church for you, I will tell you that if you come to this series, by the end of the series, you'll know exactly who we are, what this church is about, and if this is a place that you want to call home. So let me just share with you the first important lesson that I have learned as a result of being part of Westridge, and that is this. Following Jesus is not a religion. In the greatest source of information that we have today in the modern era, the great Wikipedia, defines religion as a set of common beliefs and practices generally held by a group of people often exemplified through ritual and keeping religious law. I come from a long line of family members who were great people of faith. And they meant a lot to me. But for a long time, I found myself trying to live off of their faith. It was like I believed in God because I was raised to believe in God. I went to church because I was raised to go to church. But when it came down to it, my family's faith could not be my faith. Because as it turns out, I didn't have any faith at all. I was just being religious. And I think that's true for a lot of us, and many of us have just settled into a life where the whole of our faith is filled with nothing more than going through the routine of religious tradition. And by the way, even in a church like this, that can happen. You show up on church on a Sunday morning. You participate in the worship. You throw a few bucks in the offering. You go home. If you think about it, you pray before meals. And that's pretty much the extent of our faith. Christianity has become a part of our life, but that's just it. It's just a part. We try to live off the faith that we were raised in, but soon you find that it's not enough to sustain you. Because as it turns out, it's not your faith. It's just you being religious. And here's the problem with religion. It just leaves me empty. It's like a cross hanging from the rearview mirror. Religion is about doing the right things and saying the right things and looking good and saying things that sound good. But the truth is that there's no meaning behind any of it. It's about going through the motions, but yet there's no connection and no purpose. When you read the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament of the Bible, he makes it very clear. Your belief in God is not about religion at all. 
Jesus said, it's not about what's on the outside. It's not about how good you look or how moral you try to make yourself out to be. It's what's on the inside that matters. It's about the heart. And Jesus, in his teachings, begins to move us away from a religion that is dead and lifeless into a relationship with him that is alive and meaningful. And so when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's not saying, come and be religious. He's not saying, come and show up at church every Sunday morning. He's saying, come and be in relationship with me. Come and spend the rest of your life with me. The very next lesson dovetails into the last, which is this. I have learned that grace is the truth. This is a foundational teaching of this church. Because I think that if we don't get this one thing right, everything else will be off. It's kind of like buttoning your shirt, and if you put the first button in the wrong buttonhole, then every other button is going to be off, and pretty soon your shirt's all jacked up, right? We believe that the same thing is true of the church, that unless we start out on the right foot, the rest of our spiritual walk is going to be off. Let me read for you what I would consider to be one of the most critical passages of Scripture that is absolutely foundational to the Christian faith. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God. And it's not by works, so that no one can boast. So what that passage is saying is, now, all of a sudden, everyone is the same. If you're somebody who has sinned in your life, which the Bible teaches us that we all have, then ain't nobody any better than anybody else. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how bad you think your sin is or isn't, everyone is looked upon as the same by God. It takes the pressure off. Because you'll notice that it says, you're now saved by grace and not by you. You can't save yourself. This has nothing to do with how good you are. It has nothing to do with how moral you are. Because there is nothing that you can do, quite frankly, to make God love you any more. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. He accepts everyone who comes to him in faith the same, just as we are, and he loves us anyway. And he forgives us anyway, and he saves us from the pits of hell anyway, and that is what we call grace. Now, this is a place where a church like ours gets criticized from time to time by those that say that we're all grace and no truth, that we're too easy, that we're too soft. I have to tell you, in the last 15 years, growing older, I've gotten a bit soft. Whereas I could stay in a tent for weeks on end out in the wilderness, no problem. Live off of rice and beans in some third world country, cakewalk. Now, 
If I stay in a hotel where the sheets don't have a thousand thread count, <laughs> I, I can't do it. So I've become soft in some areas of my life, but not in this one. Not in my spirituality, because let me tell you this. Here's the truth. Believe it or not, it is easier to live in a black and white world where everything is laid out for you. Where everything is decided for you. It is way more difficult to function in the reality of the gray world that we live in that forces us to make decisions every day that are determined not by rules, but by my passion and my beliefs and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, it is way easier to take an academic or intellectual approach to our religion because if it's all about knowing, then it's not about doing. It's a whole lot messier for me to follow a Jesus who forgives adulterers and hangs out with sinners, a Jesus who breaks the rules and loves everybody the same, a Jesus who rejects religion, a Jesus who, as he is dying, forgives a common criminal so that he can receive eternal life before he takes his last breath. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Grace is the truth. And the good news of the gospel is this. We are a messed up people with an amazing capacity to screw up our lives. We do the things we want to do. We sin, we fall, we mess up, and not one of us has lived a life worthy of this. That while we were still a bunch of messed up sinners, Jesus died for us. That is the truth. The last lesson I want to share with you this morning is one that's a little more sobering than that. And that's the fact that Jesus never promised us a rose garden. Jesus never promised us that following him would ever be easy. In fact, the scriptures talk way more about the pain and temptation and hardships and sufferings of those who attempt to follow Jesus than it ever does attempting to paint some picture of a Christian life as one of coasting down the highway of life and everything's all good. And yet so many of us have that kind of expectation of the Christian life as being this easy, prosperous life where everything's all smiles and no problems. And if it's not, then doggone it, you aren't living with enough faith. Come on. The main difference between somebody's life who follows God and someone who doesn't is not how bad I'm going to blow it, because you will blow it. It's not if we will get hit with obstacles and problems and difficulties because there's plenty of stuff that gets thrown in our path of even the most faithful of Christians. It's not a case of when we're going to get knocked down and hit the mat because we will. The difference is how do I get back up? 
after I've been knocked down? How do I keep moving forward in faith? Do I get back on the dirt road and take the tough path again? Or do I jump ship? When I get back up, do I continue to follow Jesus? And that's what makes the difference. And that's what sets us apart. And that is why Jesus says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it because it's not easy. The Christian life is a tough life. Do you know how foreign this Christianity thing is to the rest of the world? What we believe in, what we strive for is so absolutely absurd to those who don't believe. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with business people in my industry who, you know, when I start talking about my level of personal commitment as a volunteer to this church, they can't imagine why I would throw away an entire weekend to do this or to give my hard-earned money to the church. But to me, this is my sense of mission and purpose, and my relationship with Jesus changes the way that I approach everything, and sometimes, quite frankly, it doesn't make any sense. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's everything to me. To be honest with you, following Jesus and having faith does not come naturally for me. It doesn't. I don't see it as an easy life. For me, it's a whole lot of work. Over the last 15 years, it is a lot easier to do another thing than it is to do this thing. I have to work to stay focused on my relationship with God. Because there's a lot of times it would be a lot easier to walk away. It's work for me to be fully committed to Jesus and to follow him wholeheartedly. I'm a pretty ADD guy. So when the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God, that's really tough for me. Those quiet moments drive me crazy. I'm a pretty prideful guy. So it's a lot of work for me to admit my faults and my weaknesses and my failures and sub to submit my will and my personal agenda over to the will of God whom I've never seen before. I have never read in my Bible where Jesus ever promises us if we follow him that it'll be a rose garden. I have only read that it will take everything that we have got inside of us to make it through this world to get to the finish line with our faith left intact. But I'll tell you this. No matter how hard the Christian life is, there is no better life. To follow Jesus and to live with that sense of mission and purpose and fulfillment, and passion is irreplaceable. There's a, a very special young lady who attends uh, Westridge from time to time, and she was born with Down syndrome. Some of you have maybe have met 
Kaja. Um, if you met her, you would definitely remember her because let's just say she's a very dynamic personality. Well, I wasn't there, but when she was 12, she entered into the Special Olympics down in Aurora. And she was there to run one of the races. And so they get there, all of the special runners line up, they all get ready for the race, and all of a sudden the gun goes off, and bam, they're off. Well, Kaja did really, really well for a while. But about halfway through the race, she just stops. She decided she was tired, and now she just wanted to be done. And so there she is, standing there in the middle of the track, while all the runners are off finishing the race. And the coach yells at her, Kaja, come on, let's go, honey, run, run. She shakes him off. She just stands there, looking at everybody. The stand, everybody in the stands start yelling, clapping, cheering. She just stands there. All of a sudden, her brothers, who are up in the stands, they start chanting her name. Kaja, Kaja, Kaja. Well, she becomes so inspired by the encouragement of the crowd that she finally decides that she can do it, that she can finish the race, and so she starts running again. The crowd goes wild. Everybody's yelling and screaming, come on, Kaja, you can do it. She gets to the finish line, and man, she really pours it on. She is in dead last place. But you'd have thought she had just broken the world record as she throws her hands up, breaks through the tape like a pure champion would. I mean, she was absolutely victorious. As she crosses the finish line, her family rushes the field. They grab her and hug her and kiss her and tell her how proud they are of her. And next thing you know, she's up on the awards box and everybody's crying and they bring her this big, beautiful, bright medal and they just drape it around her neck. A true champion. The Bible says that the race of life is really, really hard. And we, by the way, are really, really challenged. And many times, you're going to feel like stopping right in the middle of the race. Life sometimes feels so heavy. You just want to be done. The mission of this church is to enter that moment in your life and to bring light into a dark time. That when you're hurting, that when you screwed up, that when you feel like you just can't go on, that the people of this church come around you and they pick you up off the ground. They help you up. And we scrape and we struggle and we work together so that we can limp across the finish line of this life together. We 
are a church full of really messed up people. So I don't think we have a shot at first. But I will say that the Bible promises and the good news of the gospel is this. That even if we come in dead last, as you cross the finish line of this life, you will hear all of heaven cheering for you. And in that moment, you will hear those words that we have waited our entire life to hear and know that it was all worth it. As Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come now into the place that I have prepared for you and receive your reward in full. I've made my choice. I'm not living my life to build wealth or power or to follow my own agenda. I choose to walk on the rocky, narrow, dirt path that leads me to Jesus. That will one day lead me home. I love this church. May we cross the finish line of this life together with our faith left intact. May God bless Westridge for the next 15 years.